So yeah, it's going to be one of those kind of shows. It is. I can tell already. Already is going to be like it's going to be just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hello and welcome to another rendition of the Fusion Underground podcast. Here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do is make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined in the virtual studio by the wonderful, the gorgeous, the beautiful, Mm, mm, the divine. mm. Keep going. (laughs) <laughs> my brother jason moret how are you doing sir i'm, I'm good <laughs> good brother <clears throat> this is uh what is this Ep- season three episode nine hey uh, right on you got num- it number 36 of yeah. totals crazy i know it's insane yeah we're, we're getting up there in, in uh in numbers and not been booted off yet not been booted yet. off stay tuned you know yeah, we got plenty of time to make people. We mad, got, I guess. we got, we got time to upset you know, everybody. I, I really had a difficult time today. I, I, you know, I wanted to wear my GCU hat. Mm-hmm. Go Lopes, right? Um, and then I really wanted to wear this one as well. You wanted to wear your ASU hat on top of go, it. Go Devils. Yep. Well, that's about the IQ. You actually look like the <laughs> IQ level I would expect out of somebody who's going to wear a Sun Devils cap. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. Well, one, because the Sun Devils completely spanked U of A on Friday night. In, okay. In the, uh, for the cup, you know, the territorial cup, 70 to seven. In what sport was this? <laughs> in football. Oh, Okay. 70 to 7 down in Tucson. Wow. But then then um I think it was was it today? Might have been yesterday. I don't remember. I, I didn't watch the game. But uh in basketball, ASU played against GCU. And wow. for the first time ever, I wanted both teams to win. Um and how'd that ASU, work out for you? <laughs> yeah, well, that didn't work out. Uh but uh but ASU won. They won 71 to 70. So they scored one more point than their football team. (laughs) Um, You know, and what's funny is everybody kept saying, oh, well, ASU's got a, you know, they're just an average team. Like all the ASU fans were coming out and saying, oh, ASU's just an average team now. You know, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have done that to Grand Canyon. You don't understand. Grand Canyon actually has a really good basketball team. I mean, they're, they're building a really good basketball franchise out of GCU 
uh, in a lot of collegiate areas, they're kind of known as like the Duke of the West. Really? Yeah, they've been they've been building it up. This is only, I think, their third year playing in Division One now. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah, they're doing. They've uh, they're pretty exciting to watch. Sadly, since there's nobody in the arena, the arena can't be as loud and ruckus as and it normally is. Boisterous and yeah, and it and like I think I mentioned it last week. Um, I'm super. It really does take away from the game, even spectating on TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. it really does. It's unfortunate. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is really sad. But, you know, I really don't give a crap too much about sports lately. I, I have been playing. I've got about, I'm at, according to Steam, I'm now 27 hours into Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, yeah? And I'm loving it. Are you? I've I'm been hearing it. good things. Hearing good I, things. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so loving it. Um, it's just so good. The storyline is really good. I feel like I'm really best friends with Keanu Reeves, even though he's he's a total penis in the show, in the game. Uh, but, you know, I'm used to it. I hang out with you all the time. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> you, you are my Keanu Reeves. Actually, you are my, what is his name? Johnny Silverhand, I think is his name. Johnny Silverhand. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. See you next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's actually really really good. The good. the the storyline is really good. There's a lot. It's open world, right? Normally yeah. I go off the rails when I do open world games, and I don't really like them because I just get too lost and I get too pushed away from the main storyline, and then I lose interest. But this one's really keeping holding my interest. The the that interesting something right. The interesting thing about the game is it drips in sex. I'm okay. not joking. So if you have little ones, if you have kids, little kids, I do not recommend playing it while they're awake, especially, you know, there are people that like to give the controller. I'm not playing it on the Xbox or PS4, PS5, whatever it is. I don't even know what it is anymore. Um, and I have the PS, the PlayStation, uh, but I'm playing it on, on, on PC. But some people like to give the controller to their, to their little one right? Like, hey, let's play a video game. And the controller's not actually connected to anything. They just get to sit there yeah, and the yeah, kid yeah. feels like they're, well, yeah, you don't want to do that playing cyberpunk. Yeah. Because I get it. There's, it, it literally, it oozes sex out of all of its pores and not just like romantic sex. We're talking like the world feels like it's built on a foundation of hookers. Wow. And it, yeah, I'm going to rush right out and buy that. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, everywhere you go, there are, um, you know, advertisements, you know, signs and everything. And it's just like, every time I turn the corner, I just like, I'm like, oh, wow, look at, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of chuckled to myself because it's, it's over the top. It's like, it's like they said, like the developer said, you know what, what we really need for a dystopian cyberpunk future is hookers. But we're gonna go over the top with it. We're gonna make everything everywhere hookers. Yeah. Um, yeah, there there are there are sex toy stores in the game. Yeah, okay. there, there's a there's a place, there's a there's a place called Jig Jig Street. Is it Jig Jig Street? Yeah, I wanted to say Jug Jug Street, but that's not it. It's Jig Jig. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, God forbid we'd just come right out and do that. <laughs> it's called Jig Jig Street, and in on Jig Jig Street, it's like it's like the red the red light district uh and it's like everything goes in jig jig street and 
you have to, there are missions that bring, that take you in you have to go talk to a shop owner or whatever. And yeah, you walk in and there's a shop owner and he's selling all kinds of sex toys. There's big old gigantic dildos and everything up for display. And um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and, and then there, there's this, there was this one, let me really quickly, there's this one mission, you would have get a kick, you would have got a kick out of this one. So th there's this mission where you have to go to the place, this place called clouds. And I'm not really spoiling anything if anybody's wondering, but you have to go to this place called clouds. And during, you have to talk to one of the hookers there, but it's a hooker The hookers are both male and female. And of course, you know, you jack in, you give them all of your information, but by jacking in, it's just like your information, like show them your ID. It's like, here's your ID, here's my ID, right? And they're supposed to run this algorithm and they're supposed to find the right hookers that match up to your type that are oh. for you. Okay. And, and, and so <clears throat> the, the, the lady behind the counter, she's like, wow, the system matched you with two. That's, that's really odd. Nobody's ever done that before, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it shows you the two people that it's matched up with and one's a female, one's a male. Right. Right. Okay. And then the pictures go away and you talk for a second. And then she says, so which one would you like? And then it just pops up two choices. It doesn't give you the faces. It just gives you their names. <laughs> and the names are Sky and Angel. Uh-oh. That's not good. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 no. I know for me, I'd be all, stop right now. <laughs> where's my phone okay i am not getting suckered into anything goofy what is yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like i was like hmm sky hmm. or angel i don't remember who was who <laughs> <laughs> and it was like eeny meeny it was literally like hmm which one which one sky or angel because that's there's no picture there's no there's nothing it's just the name you just have to select Where the name did i save last <laughs> Because I'm going to be reloading here potentially very, very soon. Yeah. It was really funny. I was I was chuckling to myself and I was like, well, I, when I picked one, I'm like, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but you end up not, you just end up talking. So it was fine. Oh, great. Uh, in that one. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I did actually get control. Of? No, the game. Control. Oh, 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 that, that game is so good. Yep. Yep, I got that. It's on Game Pass, so I got it for Nunya. Game My is so style. good. That's, so, that's so it. good. Yep. So playing through that a little bit. It's been interesting. But good recommendation so far. Thank you for that, sir. Yeah. But I told you, I, I last time I was looking at it, it was still like 30, 30 40 bucks, something like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. nope. I'm going to wait. It'll be free here in another month or so. And ha ha, I win. <laughs> I love fun. control. I love control. Control is a really great game. Mm -hmm. It's really, really good. I really, good. Uh, I recommend that one yep. too. Pick that up and uh, Anthem. So my buddy and I can play, but I haven't done much with that yet. So yeah. All right. I'll have to let you know how uh, cyberpunk matches. Well, up. so yeah. far I'm hooked. <laughs> the well, the interesting thing about cyberpunk is um, I don't really understand why, but you can you can select you can specify genitalia in the game. Yeah, we talked about this. Oh God, yeah. long. Oh time. yeah, yeah, we did. We did yep. show the the sliders and everything. So you can you can have a dude with a vagina, or you can have a female with really large breasts and a penis. Yep. Um, and you get to customize your breasts and your penis size. Um, and you can also select from Gentile or Jew. So, 
Mm. <laughs> what? What? Mm. I don't really understand why, because for a couple of reasons. One, the game's all first person, so it's not like you can really see your character at all. Um, and then you have armor. You wear armor all the time, you know? So even those moments when you do actually get a chance to see your character, you're clothed. So I don't really understand why I, that's I, such a... Yeah, no, no. Nope, I'm not. I'm not even gonna. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna even dignify any of that with a response. You really want Just, to? Uh, no, I really, really, really don't. Uh, all right. Okay. I'm. If I play that game, I'm gonna have a character called Page. Page. E. Pat. Page. No. E. Page. You guess whatever. Ha ha. Jokes on you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Cuz we yeah. talked about that last week. The the only the only so there's there's two downsides to this game that I've seen so far. One is trying to drive with a piece with a on with a mechanical keyboard and mouse. You can't drive. No. In video games. I no, know you I can't. Can't. I can't. But I would love video of watching you try. <clears throat> it would have a lot of cursing and swearing. Just I'm sure straight. it would, and still be more appropriate than what you've described yeah. the game as so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, I can't drive in these games, and I don't have a controller, and I'm not going to run out and buy a controller to hook up to my PC just to try to play the game. Um, but the drive, the it's better. The driving is slightly better than uh, what was the what was that one that I was playing? The something dogs, Watchdogs. It's it's Watch slightly dogs. better than Watchdogs but not by much okay um and then the other bad thing about the other well it's not a bad thing it's really not it's just a criticism about the game so you can select like from you can select a mission to go do this mission and then it puts on your little mini map these little yellow dots that lead you to your right. to your location right <clears throat> but the game is really pretty like looking at i mean night city which is in which is the city in which this game is set it's really amazing to look at and it's uh, you know it's just this dystopian you know cyberpunk feel it looks really really cool and there's so much texture and everything that's going on in the city and i find that most of the time when i'm driving around the city I'm, i can't really look at the scenery you can't take it all in because you're focused on a little cartoon minimap yeah, I'm focused on the minute because I need to know. It's like, okay, do I turn right? Do I turn left? You know, because the 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 city not only is it sprawling, you know, it does it sprawl outward, but it's also up. So there are like eight, nine, ten different levels in the in the city, and so the roads go up, and there's bridges that go up to other higher levels or down into the you know in the bowels of the city, and you can't just like it's not like a grid like Phoenix is a grid. You know, you can't just mm-hmm. go up two blocks over three blocks and then you're there you know it's winding and twisting so you have to so yeah i spend the whole time kind of like glancing just back and forth just in front of my car to the mini map it's a minor criticism i know that's okay i'll take minor criticisms that's fine yeah because see like in the uh control the game we were just talking about that you played before it doesn't have a mini map displayed you have to actually pull it up and it doesn't stop the game so you can still get eaten alive while you're looking at a map trying to figure out where you want to go and any of your side missions they don't show up actually neither Uh does your main mission on the map 
normally on any game, you've got a main mission right. marker. It's like, hey, dummy, you go here. You right. go no, here. Yeah. You go here. No, you don't have that. You right. just go, where the hell am I supposed <laughs> to go? This says go to the furnace room. Where's that? Where the hell is the furnace room? <laughs> oh, wait, there's something that's <clears throat> where am I at? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, actually it, a couple times I've had to go all the way back to the beginning and go, okay, here I know where I'm at. Where do I need to go? All right. And by the time I walk down there, there's a timer that was apparently going off and I missed everything anyway. And I'm like, yeah. dude, this sucks. So how far how far hmm. into it are you? Um, let's see. I got the <clears throat> I just got into the psychology labs. Oh, okay. So you're still pretty early. Yeah, I, I okay. guess. Yeah. The the best power, I think, I just I focused all of it into grabbing stuff and hurling it back at people. Just that's like pretty much the telekinesis. Yeah, I, I I I haven't maxed out all of my throw damage, um, and I just started to build up so that I can actually grab enemies themselves oh, and throw them at other people. So that's always that's, good stuff too. Yeah, that's that's good coming times. here very very soon. So yeah. yeah, I got the evade and the the shield and and some of those other things unlocked. Some of you have like, to learn it. You, the game just yeah. gives it to you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I did that, and then I um I upgraded my gun a couple times. You yeah. know, because I think you have to actually go through and do that because there's missions where you have to kill stuff with yeah. all that stuff. So that's cool. <clears throat> yeah but once you can pick up another dude so like a couple guys will like jump out with guns and you're like just i'm gonna grab you and i'm gonna throw you into that guy i'm gonna hit you <laughs> with this guy that just is so much fun it's just it's yeah. just a blast yeah well and well speaking of blast that was my biggest frustration especially early on man i was thro throwing stuff at everybody i throw stuff at you and you and you and you and you <laughs> and then i was dead i was like what is going on i didn't realize until like the fourth or fifth time after i got an upset walked away and came back and restarted the game that when you throw people or throw stuff at people it explodes yeah and you can and if you're damage. right here yeah and you throw something at them it explodes yeah with you right there with it so yeah. i i think actually i was killing myself more often than not well you were at least contributing to your de own death to yes your own demise. i take my destiny into my own hands thank you very much <sighs> yeah Good times. So good times. All right. Well, today, so I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this story. I got, I got a, I got a text from a cousin of mine. He lives, he doesn't live too far from me. Um, and he had tamales. Oh, uh -huh. so today I got, and my cousin makes real tamales, the best tamales you have ever had my cousin makes them oh my god they're so good he makes red he made red and green he does it every year <clears throat> you know and it's a <clears throat> it's like a five-day process of him you know making these you know making tamales i talked with him a little about it today and uh he actually made them last weekend and then you know he texted me and he said last chance if you want some tamales come over you know today after 11 o'clock and so i went over there visited with him a little bit and got some tamales. And, you know, it's funny because Kristen had asked me, she said, well, are you going over to your cousin's house? You know, I think it was like Friday or Saturday. She's like, are you going to go get tamales from your cousin? I said, oh, I don't know. He was making them last week, but he hasn't invited me over to come get some. And I don't want to like, just like, just like show up at the door and go, Hey cousin, <laughs> I haven't seen you in a year. Where are my tamales? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, 
that's a little rude, you know, but they're so amazing. They're just, they're so, so good. So, okay. yeah, I just had to share that because I got tamales. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Jerk. Yeah, We're, yeah you're welcome. I miss tamales so much. <laughs> I really do. I, that's, you know, my, um, my aunt Cindy, she used to make tamales all the time. She, um, I do have Mexican in my family. Now it's my, 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 uh, cousins, of course, who my aunt married a Mexican. And so now I have, now I have Mexican in my family. Wouldn't you know it just mm. by looking at me, wouldn't you tell? Um, <laughs> but she, you know, <clears throat> tamales are, it, it is definitely a Christmas tradition. And mm -hmm. I frigging love that there are Mexicans who have that Christmas tradition that I can exploit because I love real tamales. They're so good. Yeah, he made uh, 22 dozen. That's it? Well, that was gone. That might have to be gone in a weekend. 11. Yeah, 11. Yeah, he said 11, 11 and 11. Yeah, so it makes 20. That's, but yeah. they're so good. But they're so good. <laughs> so, so good. <laughs> My God, they're so good. Uh, yeah. I wish yeah. I could, you know. He used to, if I remember correctly, I think he used to run a restaurant. Oh, really? Many, 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 many moons ago. He's a fantastic, he's a fantastic oh. cook. Uh, yeah. And he's really perfected the, the tamales. But when I was eating those tamales today, I was thinking about how, like, this is all I want for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is my tamales. Yeah. Por favor. Tamales, and, por favor. Tamales, yeah, por favor. And, and so, you know, one of the things I was... <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> Game face. Go ahead. <laughs> nope, that's it. We're done. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> While I was eating the tamales, I thought, because I was, you know, everybody always wants to know what do you want for Christmas and, you know, and, uh, and I thought, well, this is all I want. Like, I don't, I don't want anything other than this mm -hmm. because people get me crap whenever they buy me stuff. Okay. Well, you don't you, so here's, here's where I'm at. I used you as an example, just like this okay. actually okay. this last well, week. And what was this example? Pray tell. Well, so I was talking with a buddy of mine about buying gifts for not just the family, because everybody mm -hmm. buys gifts for the family, you know, the wife, husband, daughter, son, you know, kids, dog, whatever. That's mm -hmm. the family. Then you've got the extended family and then the distant extended family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the there's almost this obligatory purchase necessary, you know, um, and I've seen this in a lot of families and he does too. Well, you know, my in-laws or, you know, they've gotten something for our kids or for us, we should get something for them. Or, you know, your cousins, like you just said, or this lady I work with, she got something for the kids. I should get something for her. You know, it becomes this reciprocal obligatory situation. And I was actually joking. I said, you know, it's interesting. Everybody says, well, it's the thought that counts. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's fine up until you go to actually buy something for someone else. Because what we do is we have to take the other person's stature, financial or otherwise, into account. And I was trying to explain. I said, okay, picture Lucy. Mm -hmm. I said, if I go down and I get something for you, I can go to Walmart and find something and go, dude, look what I got. I got this for you. 
ha and they'll go oh that's pretty cool i said i can't do that for lucy i'm not going to get him a christmas present because i know better he's not going to get me one we have that understanding but i actually got you something i was gonna say (laughs) dang it i knew you oh all right i said but i can't go to just a walmart and get lucy something from there because he's gonna go oh look it that's cool it's crap and throw it you're just Uh gonna pitch Uh it except Uh you might actually wait till i'm not in the room to throw it in the trash yes yes see and i know that but what the heck what happened to it's the thought that counts well obviously that's really not 100 percent true because we do we take that into account when we buy for other people well i i read well Mm -mm. this is how i feel about cards like you know cards like give um like birthday cards or christmas cards right i read cards over the trash can Uh uh-huh I, I, you know, I get, if I, if I get a card and most people don't send cards that much anymore, but uh, in the past I used to get cards and I would read them over the trash can and it's like, oh, that's a nice card. Oh, that was really nice. That was really nice. Honey, did you see that? Yep. Isn't that cool? Yep. Trash. And, and then like, I remember saying that to somebody one time and they got offended and I thought, well, did you really honestly expect me to keep it? What did you want? How long are you <clears throat> supposed to keep a card before it becomes acceptable to right. discard? It, I, I read it and I enjoyed reading it and I enjoyed the fact that you thought about me, uh, but I'm not going to keep the card. So I literally would open it and drop the, drop the envelope into the trash can. I'd read the card and go, oh, that was really nice. And then I dropped the card in there into the trash can. And I thought, well, it's going to wind up there anyway. Yeah. I don't understand cards. I never have. And I, I, I have, I love people who write the thank you cards after getting a card. It's oh, I got your card. Thank you. Here's your thank you. I literally only, I would do something like this. I literally wrote out a thank you card for someone writing me a thank you for another thank you that I already got. See, this is psychotic. No, no, no. I did that just (laughs) to be that guy, though. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I received your thank you card. Consider this a thank you for your thank you card. Like, that is so dumb. (laughs) Yeah. I I hate that. So, okay. So then how do you approach gift giving? Because I thought of, I actually put... So I got you something. Okay. Um, and I don't exactly know when I ordered it online. So I don't know when it's going to arrive here, but then I'm going to have to turn it. So I have no idea when you're going to get it. That's the bottom line. Okay. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> but you will get it um, hopefully by the first of the year, if not a little bit after. Um, but I put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought of, I thought of you and and here's here's my thing when it comes to gift giving now. I don't I don't give gifts based on what the other person wants. Okay. I give gifts that are um that are a reflection of the relationship that I have with that person. That's very very smart. <clears throat> and you know, in some cases I'll buy somebody a book. I didn't buy you a book. But in some cases, I'll buy somebody a book that I think that they should read or that I think that not so much that they want to read per se, Mm -hmm. but a book that, you know, maybe a book that I've read 
Sure. And maybe they've called out certain qualities about a certain topic. And then, so I will gift it to them because I want them to know that I bought them this book. The book came from me, not just, I'm not just buying something that they want because if there's something that you want, well, then you just go buy it. Go buy it. Just go buy it. No. And I, and I can appreciate that. I, I, you know, a, a book's great. I mean, to me that goes, I, you know, I thought about you. I really think this would be great for you here. Now go do your homework. <clears throat> Thanks a lot. Appreciate that, jerk. But you know, See, on, on only, the same only no- you would think of. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, um, so you know, I know, and I've poked at you with you and your Skynet setup and all of your stuff. There's a hundred thousand different electronics out there that I think you would absolutely love to add to your repertoire of useful sh- stuff right in front Things. of you. Things. items yes (laughs) i know for a Uh fact there is no way in hell i'm going to get you what you want that's going to fit the needs that you want even if i were to ask you and you could actually articulate that back to me appropriately Mm -hmm. i would still not get it appropriately i know that there's no way so why would i do that correct i could get you something much better like i don't know uh a u of a cap mm. and that's me thinking of you mm-hmm. or whatever you know I, I could actually get you something meaningful it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be expensive but no and i i can appreciate that yeah yeah now i do have to share this i think this is a good point mm-hmm. um there was god how many years ago was that 12 years 10 10 years i don't know 10 or 12 years ago some time ago Lucy and I actually mm-hmm. got each other um, a Christmas gift. We met up for lunch. <laughs> this is a good story. This is great. We both <clears throat> met yeah. up for lunch and I said, hey, I got you something for Christmas. Oh, yeah, me too. I'll bring it. Great. <laughs> I hand him this Christmas <clears throat> gift wrapped up. He hands me mine and I looked at it and I'm like, this is the man they feel exactly they the, feel same. the same we bought each other the exact same skyrim player's guide oh like yeah the bible for it was that a bible game. it was a big old it's gigantic huge. book it was it's hardcover a, it, hardback it, it, hard, book oh. yep it was a great book i mean it's it's just this tome of knowledge about skyrim <laughs> yeah because yeah, we were both playing skyrim it was that year that skyrim mm-hmm. came out yep and so now that excellent choice in gift sir yeah. must i say <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was funny. That was, yep, that, that was, was funny. pretty cool. Yeah. So. But, but you know, yeah. So I don't get, I don't buy gifts for anybody with, uh, um, based on what they want. I, I gift them, I give them something that I think is meaningful from my perspective. That is a representation of the relationship that I have with the individual. Mm-hmm. So um, with, with the hope of, of um how should i say this without sounding odd um too late but but (laughs) (laughs) i i guess with the hope that i can impart some of you know something that has made me who i am today to that person okay not i don't say that from the perspective of like i'm this amazing person you should take this and be just like me No, no 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 that's 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 dumb. That's not what I mean. I mean, like this, you know, this thing or this object or this concept I found enlightening. And I think you might find it enlightening as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. I like to make gifts if I ever can. Okay. I really do. Um, my, my, I made my wife's, um, anniversary gift this last year. Um, I actually took our song from high school and I wrote out the lyrics and I, um, put it in the shape of a, of a heart and said, our journey began on February 13th, 1998 and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it came out really nice and I framed it and it's up and, and she liked it. She liked it a lot. I like to do stuff more like that, you know? So a lot of people don't like making stuff. Yeah. 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 I don't think most people like to make stuff. No. So. Anywho. All right. So, so speaking about reading. So one of the, one of the things that I was, I was thinking about um, is this is my belief. And we were talking about this just before we started the show, which is I believe that if you're going to be a great leader, that you have to read a lot. Okay. And I, th- I know there are a lot of people, I think, I think reading is going out of style. Yes, very much so. Um, I, I think the majority of the people that read right now uh, interpret that to mean audiobooks. I don't know how I feel about audio, but I, I enjoy audiobooks. I do. Sure. I, I, I've purchased quite a few audiobooks and mm-hmm. I like them. I, I enjoy listening to them. Um, the, ch- the challenge with an audiobook is that I don't know, you want it, it's not a challenge, uh, it's not as active as reading. So, it's, it's great if you're on a long drive. Um, mm-hmm. I use, I listen to mine, like if I go walk the dog, I'll listen to audiobooks or uh, on a commute to and from mm-hmm. work because I, you know, the office, I haven't gone in a year, but, uh, you know, the office is 20, 30 minutes away. So I listen to the audiobook while I'm in the car. But I, I, I find that unless I'm doing something where I can sort of focus on it, then, then I get value from it. I can't just have it on in the background, for example, while I'm working, because then I'm not listening to it. I'm focused right. on whatever it is that I'm working on. Right. Um, so it, but it, but it's still a very passive kind of medium you know you you can just sort of passively listen to it you're not actually doing the work of reading and interpretation yeah if that makes sense no it is and and i get it especially and i've seen how you read you held up a book you were reading the other day and it had like nine thousand little flags <laughs> on it so yes i i believe that an audiobook for you is probably not as well rewarding and that's the other thing it's very difficult to highlight like you can <laughs> No, I'm serious. I know you are. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine that is extremely difficult to highlight, sir. (laughs) Did you just like spew all of your water all over the place? (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) No, there's (laughs) there there. See, you're. Oh my God! There, no, please explain. Go for it. Uh, in so like my, I have my little audio uh, audio app here. Uh, Audible. Sorry, I was trying to get the right the right word. Um, 
yeah, reading, you can actually, there's, there's a, there's a, an ability down here on the app where you can actually like highlight that clip in okay. the book. So you can mark passages in the book that are interesting that you want to go back and reference later. You, you can, it's highlighting, but <laughs> so what does reviewing highlighted audiobooks look and or sound like? I don't, well, I don't really know because I don't do it. Um, <laughs> and that's why, because it's problematic. So because I'm driving, like most of the time I'm walking the dog or I'm driving. And so it's like, you hear something and it's like, oh, wait, that was really pithy. I want to remember that. And by the time you break it down and hit pause and then try to rewind and then it's just a pain in the butt. So, but if I'm reading a book, I can just stop and highlight it. Don't you read a book with a highlighter? No, <laughs> I, re I read a book with a light and a bookmark like normal people. <laughs> Most Dr. Ramirez, I know this is going to frighten and surprise you, but most people do not read books with flags, highlighters, and a notepad. <laughs> <laughs> most people pick up the latest John Grisham thriller or whatever, and read it and just read it. <laughs> Some people don't even have a bookmark. They do the fold the corner over when they're done, <laughs> crease it and fold it back up, stick it on their night and turn the light off and go back to bed. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's, Yes, sir. That is, Ugh. I know we're the weird ones. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you at all. Uh, must be everyone else. Yeah, must be. <laughs> oh, shit. Which is why I like my Kindle, and I don't even have my Kindle here. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's right here. See, it's right here. All right. Because I can just highlight it. If I'm reading something, I can just like click and you know just tap it and then drag it, and then it's highlighted. That's cool. That, that's great. No, hey, I'm really glad that you love it, and I'm glad that you do that. And um, how often do you go back and look at all your highlighted stuff? Oh, all the time. Okay. I, and I believe you. I do. <laughs> I, yes, sir. I do. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> You know what? I, I have my old psychology binders that uh -huh. I said, oh, and I separated them out so I could, and I kept them and I kept it very neatly organized so that I could go back and reference all of my notes. Should I ever have a situation arise where I really want to go back and dive back into that subject and pull out my notes? <laughs> Those are going to go in the box with all the cables that I talked about last week and going to get pitched and thrown in the trash because what I don't, I have no use for that. Fair enough. Fair enough. So back to the original point, which was, oh, being, yes. which was being well-read to be an effective leader. There I'm are... obviously not going to be a very effective leader. <laughs> yeah, because you don't <laughs> read. I do too. What do you read? Uh, fantasy. When was the last, what was the last book you read? I'm reading one now called The Shadow Warrior. All right, fair enough. Oh, so 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that wasn't deep enough for you. Okay. My bad. Well, I do have a book here that is um, tabbed appropriately, like, mm-hmm. like oh. you read. Yeah, but that's See? the Bible. That is the Bible. That's tabbed just the way I yeah. want it. See, that's okay, just, right? You were just making fun of me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you read a book like that, that, that you study, I guess. Sure. And, and so one of the, one of the challenging things, you know, this, uh, you asked me this question and then one of our listeners last week asked me, Ooh, um, I like this already. Go ask me what it is that I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think it's important that you go on record and explain to all of our dear listeners what it is you do. So, and that's a little, um, that's a little difficult to, to describe. Um, I'm actually very fortunate for what I get to do. It's a lot of fun what I get to do. Um, but essentially I consult on how to make organizations and teams perform better. So some people might say, well, that's process improvement. And it's like, well, not exactly. I, you know, there are people trained to do things like Six Sigma, right? Or Lean Six Sigma. You might have heard those types of things. And these are, these are, these are methodologies where you look at how something is, how a business process is functioning and you collect all of these metrics about that process. And then you find ways to tweak and make the process shorter, you know, shorter duration, those types of things. Um, That's not really what I do. Although I can do that kind of stuff, but that's not really what I do. So what I do is I work with teams um, and organizations and departments or the entire company and try to figure out what are their long-term goals? What is it? What are some of the issues that they are having? And looking at how the company is configured, um, is set up organizationally, and and look for synergies and how to either take departments and maybe flatten them down a little bit and make the flow of information better, um, evaluate how they're functioning, and then find better ways to get them to function. At the team level, it's often looking at how the team dynamics are interacting and trying to find ways to get the team members to, um, to perform more cohesively as a team, how to manage their work better. Um, and hey, I get paid to do that. And it's quite amazing, actually. <laughs> I think I referenced before it. I'm, I'm shocked and blown away. I mean, I mean, just absolutely dumbfounded at the fact that companies can't figure out how to run their business and that there is a necessity for your job. Not that I take away from it or discredit <laughs> it or, or, or in any way diminish the value of what you do, but it just seems great. It's you're talking with, you know, owners and CEOs of companies that have been yeah. doing this and, and yeah. some of them extremely well for a very long time. Sure. Sure. And then you go, well, it, some of the things that you probably come up with are just overwhelmingly obvious and they look like that's crazy talk. What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? I can only imagine nine times out of 10. It is nine times out of, so um, it's like this. So the the best way to describe what I am is, is an organizational psychologist. 
That's the best way to describe it. So when you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, some kind of a therapist, I'm really a therapist for organizations is really what it amounts to. Um, but when you go to a therapist and you have these things that are bugging you, right? Um, these anxieties or depression or just, most people go to the, go to see a therapist because they're anxious about something. They have some, you know, they're not, they're not crazy. They're just struggling with something in their life. And they go to the psychologist or the therapist and they talk about it. And, and the, 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 the therapist doesn't really wave a magic. They don't have a magic wand and fix it. They just ask questions and get you to realize what it is that you already know. I swear. <laughs> Every time I think about what you do, I picture Sigmund Freud as one of the bobs from office space. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say you do here? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing, right? And so a lot of what I a lot of what I what I talk about when I'm work and I do a lot of corporate training and, and things like that too. But um, if I'm working with a team that's really struggling with something, I just get them to see what they already intuitively understand. It's just that they're so focused, they're so narrowly focused on trying to get the work done that it's very difficult for, for the team to sort of look up and say, hey, maybe we should do it this way. Um, and so I come in, I look at what they're doing and I talk with them and, and then I'm like, well, have you thought about this? And they're like, wow, that's a really great idea. Let's try that. I'm like... <laughs> Or, or some people will even say, oh, you know, we thought about that, but we didn't think if it would work or not. I'm like, well, just let's try it and see what happens. And, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I do. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, <clears throat> so, so, so somebody might be asking, well, if you know, let's say, you know, something about lean six Sigma, right. And you uh -huh. might say, well, well, why should, why should this, why should an organizational psychologist exist when we have lean six Sigma? Um, the, the, the difference between the two and the problem with lean six, there's not a problem with lean six Sigma. Lean six Sigma is good when you already have a process in place and you have to make the widget. Mm -hmm. The problem comes when you're trying to design a brand new widget that doesn't exist. Okay. Because the widget is the domain of the known. We already know it. We'd have all, we have the recipe and we make the recipe. Great. Now you can maximize that recipe and try to make, try to make it faster, you know, with less cost and all that kind of stuff. And there's, there is a need for that. There is, sure. there is a need for that in organizations. The challenging part comes when the, when the companies say we've been selling this widget, but now we want to develop a brand new widget that the, that the industry has never seen before. And when you do that, you can't lean Six Sigma that. There's no process right. because the process is thinking and coming up with ideas. And, and you have to manage conflict when that happens because your idea might be different from my idea or I think my idea is going to work and you don't. And so we're going to battle. And then when, we're, when we have that conflict in the workspace, then the work can suffer if we're not actually focusing. And that's when I come in and say, well, what is it, what is it you guys are trying to do? And how do we simplify this? And what's the problem that we're trying to solve by our, for our customer, for our organization, et cetera? Let's, let's take a step back. Let's look at the problem and let's come up with ideas to solve the problem and not get too far down rabbit holes and all that. Right. And, and so that's really more of the domain that I work in is that, that knowledge area where we're dealing with a lot of gray and how do you deal with that? And that's, 
quite honestly, that's difficult. And you might say, well, why do you need to do, deal with that space? Because if a company doesn't invent new products, they're going to go out of business. Right. Um, you know, if they don't well, find... And yeah. We as a society come to a standstill. If we're not, if we're not improving, we're not um, innovating, and we're right. not coming up with new things, we, we stagnate. Right. So yeah, if a company doesn't come up with anything new, then, um, then they risk they risk competition coming up with some something new and eating their lunch. So, right. and then eventually you go out of business. So companies have to manage both that building of the widget and then they have to manage that part and get really good at that. But then they also have to manage this really gray area, this, amb this highly ambiguous area where they're trying to come up with new products and services. Yep. And that's where I come in. And so you come in as the therapist and get everybody to work in harmony. That's the goal. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. But I what I, but see what I what I what I often find is um, work when I work with leaders. Mm -hmm. Obviously, some leaders are going to be better than other leaders. Um, but I find that in many in many organizations, leaders they they stop learning, and I think that's kind of a problem. Mm -hmm. So when you say stop learning, what, now you, you equated where I think you're going, you're trying to equate the idea of reading and furthering your own intellectual knowledge base as mm -hmm. what you're saying is to stop learning. So elaborate on why, or either if that's what you mean, why you think that is and what, why you think that happens so that I can help comment better. That leaders stop learning. Yeah. Um, where to begin? Where to begin? So you you okay? So let me let me see if I can phrase that question a little bit better, so you're not stuck. You feel that leaders tend to, especially in corporations where they get into their comfortable place, stop yeah. learning. Now yeah. you're obviously making uh, an equivalent from learning to simply reading. Right. Or are you not? I, well, partially, partially. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> As if, if you're in a leadership role, okay, um, the expectation is you have to guide a group of people. Um, what's so we always talk about leadership that way you're going to be guiding these people to achieve an, an objective. Hey, come follow me and let's go this direction. That's all fine and dandy, but there's one thing that a lot of leaders don't realize um, it's, it's sort of that implied um, purpose or uh, function of a leader is if you're going to go somewhere as a leader, you can't do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, the reason why you have to lead a group of people is because you need them. You need their talents and their knowledge to actually get you to where it is that you're going. Right. Okay. Because if you didn't need them, you would just do it on your own. Okay. So you need this group of people. And one of the best ways that a leader can start to recognize that they need other people to be successful is by learning. So if, and it does, it does a number of it, that recognizing that you need to be learning does a couple of things. One, if for, let's say, for example, I want to learn how to play the piano, then I have to rely on somebody else to teach me how to play the piano. 
So I have to have an appreciation that somebody over here has the skill to be able to play a piano and the skill to be able to teach me how to play the piano. And then therefore I have to rely on them to do it. A leader does the very same thing. If let's say I'm going to build a brand new car, well, I have to rely on the knowledge of the engineers and I have to rely on the knowledge of the builders to build the car, right? I might have a vision and I might have a vision of where we're going to go as a company, but I need their expertise. I need electricians. I need machinists. I need all of these the designers and I need to recognize that they bring something of value and I need to find a way to say, I need you so that we can all be successful. And you can do that when you start learning and you start realizing that you need other people to, to acquire knowledge, then there's a one-to-one -one relationship there that says, I need to rely on other people if we're going to be able to move and be successful. Does that make sure. sense? Okay. No, that absolutely makes sense. And you know, I, I ran a business up here for a while. Um, and I recognized right away, I didn't have the knowledge base that I needed to run the entire business by myself. And I needed yeah. to get experts in certain areas, whether it was billing and therapies and other things, but I can easily say, well, I, I have experts over here. I learned just enough to know how to evaluate whether they're able to do and, and uh, uh, do the job that I need them to do. But I don't know that that equates to me as the leader stopping to that, that I stopped learning. Well, <clears throat> where now comes... I could, I could see it mm -hmm. becoming very, very easy for me to be complacent and say, well, I don't need to know anything about billing because I've got my expert biller and mm -hmm. I don't need to know anything about therapies because I have my therapist. And as long as I have my, you know, five to eight key people in play and I keep all those uh, pieces on the chessboard, I'm good. I don't have to know any of that. I just have to keep them all motivated and keep them all pointed in the right same direction. Sure. But if you're, if you're reading, for example, uh, and you're seeking things to read, then, then you're accomplishing, you're, you're allowing yourself to be open to a number of things. So <clears throat> one, you might start to, you might actually read things that give you hints into how your industry might be changing, for example. Um, which if you were just trying to keep your people happy and keep them focused on making the widgets, you might not realize that behind you, the technology is changing. And hey, if we keep making the widgets, eventually we're going to become obsolete. Um, so by, but by reading and, and staying abreast of like your industry, for example, that's one way you might start to see how the industry is changing and how you might need to start changing your company. Another thing is if you're reading a lot, Reading gives you the, it, it affords you the opportunity while you're reading to challenge your own biases and assumptions. So often leaders are making decisions and they often make decisions based on, yeah, I hear, I hear it a lot where, a, you know, a, an executive will say, well, it's, I just don't feel it in my gut. Okay. That it's fine to be driven by your gut to a certain degree, but you can't solely be driven by your gut. There's some other things that you either need to be, be taking into account because your gut could also just simply be a tremendous amount of bias. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Um, I often work with a number of executives who graduated, got really great, amazing MBAs back in the late eighties, early nineties. And they haven't learned anything since they got their MBAs. 
but they, they talk like, well, I have an MBA, so therefore I know everything. And I think, yeah, but your MBA now is 20, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Technology has changed. Your customers have changed. The laws have changed. Um, the world has changed. The internet wasn't around when you got your, your, uh, <laughs> yeah. your MBA, for example, right? So much has changed in 20 or 30 years. Um, people have changed. Quite you can't, you can't, you can't treat a, you know, for example, you can't treat the, the millennials and gen and generation Z in the same way that you're going to treat, let's say a baby boomer. Mm-hmm. for example, or even generation, generation X, right? There, there are different values at play there. Uh, and, and if you're, if you're not reading to recognize that, whether, whether you believe it or not, then you're, you're stuck at that moment when you were handed that MBA. Mm-hmm. You, there are a lot of exact, there are a lot of leaders that they get, they like, once they got that degree, they've, they cast themselves into that mold and they've solidified themselves and they literally hit pause and the world has gone on around, gone on around them and often without them. And so they're trying to manage based on the principles and knowledge that they gained in 92, in 1992, mm-hmm. not anything that's more up to date and fundamental. Okay. Yeah. And, and there's obviously a disconnect there. And and I've seen that in other organizations. I think everybody has, especially the, uh, as you go higher up the chain, you've got people who have put in their 20, 30 years and now they've got their cush corporate position and you're going, have you, are you guys, and this is where I think so many people who are, we'll call them the, the front runners, the people on the ground floor, um, doing the work in any business, any corporation, always have the same complaint, no matter where you go. I'm sure you probably hear about it more than anybody else. And that is the corporate team and the ownership team and the board of directors, all of those people are so far removed from mm-hmm. the day-to-day life and operation of the business that they have absolutely no connection to it whatsoever anymore. They have no grasp of what a day in the life and yeah. what we actually do. That's very, very true. I mean, every, every place I've ever been has, has always had that exact same complaint. Um, and I don't think it's, it's out of sheer malice. You know, I don't, I don't think people, um, who are actually doing the quote unquote grunt work really dislike their organizations and their, their corporate leadership, but there is a actual disconnect from being hands-on doing the work. Um, yes. And that's, that's a, that's a huge problem. As a matter of fact, I mean, and again, it goes back to, um, it goes back to constantly learning and, and having that appreciation. There are so many people that were trained to be managers. And what's sad is, so they were trained to be managers back in, you know, decades ago. And now they're training by virtue of just their actions and how they respond to people. They're training people who will eventually move into management to be the same way. And, and they're not adding anything more to their collective management repertoire. Right. And so you have managers who, yeah, it was very effective. You know, those, those managerial styles were very effective 30 or 40 years ago, but they're not effective anymore because of, because the world is a completely different place. Um, Go ahead. No, when I was managing my team, I, I always said my goal 
for each and every one of them was to train them and educate them to get them so that they could take over for me, hopefully at any time, you know, I, I, I didn't, I wanted to make sure that the people that were there were sufficient enough and self-sufficient enough that, you know, if I walked off a curb and got hit by a bus, the business would never, would never suffer for it because everybody would just continue on. I, I was, I guess that was always my idea um, in leading people was to get everyone uh, to a place where I could be easily replaced by any one of them. Unfortunately, I guess that usually means your tenure is probably going to be short because somebody's going to say, well, okay, we can replace you with somebody else, pay them less and uh, have a nice day. Well, you know, part, part of the, part of the problem with this is, you know, manage management styles, the way that we teach managers, you know, like people who go on and get an MBA, for example, a lot of MBA programs are built on a hundred year old management style. Um, and, and that management style is one of, of command and control where, and we, you know, I hear about it a lot. I get really nervous when I hear, you know, managers say, well, we have to do what's best practice. I get really nervous when I hear things like mm -hmm. that. Or when I hear things like we have to have a, we have all of these teams, but we have to have a, we have to have a standard way that all the teams are going to work. And I think that, wait a minute, I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, but, but you're closing off the doors of innovation. You are closing off the doors of innovation. And let's say, let's say all, let's say you're, you have 30 different teams in your company who are IT teams, information and technology. And, and you might say, and I hear this often where leaders will say, well, you know, we have these software teams and they just call them blanket software teams. But even among software teams, the work that they do is not exactly the same. It's mm -hmm. why you have different teams. You might have a database team and you have a front, you have, you know, the front end software team over here and you have a data warehouse team, et cetera. So all of the work is not the same and the teams are not the same. And so if you try to standard it, depending on what it is that they're trying to standardize, right? That's why I always try to, I have to ask a lot of questions. Well, sure, what, is, sure. what do we mean by standards? What are, what are you talking about here? And some, some leaders want to have everybody doing exactly the same thing. And it's like, you can't necessarily do that because all the work's not created equally. Right. Right. So you have to have more like frameworks rather than, rather than rules. Cause you cannot command and control all of it. You know, it's, it's like, this is very similar to a manager who literally wants to write down. And some people think that this is an okay thing to do where they say, let's say you have a game of chess. A chessboard, and they and people want to create workflows that say, well, if my opponent moves this piece to this space, then do this. Right. And they want to yep. write procedures Correct. for their business to do that. Yep. And and I've I've seen those actually um, flow start or crosswalks, you know, and and I've seen a lot of um, companies actually build things up like that where it is um, if A plus B equals C on a Tuesday. Your mm -hmm. response is X. I mean, it's, I know that right. sounds insane, but I've seen that that's real. Right. Um, and, and the, the challenge with that is, you know, it, if for, let's take, let's take chess 
and I'm going, I'm, I'm, okay. my numbers are probably going to be slightly off here, but I think it, it still illustrates the point that after, I think it's by, by the time both players had made four moves, I think it's four, might be five, that there are more than 10,000 possible board combinations that the board can be in at that moment. After, after turn five. Yeah. Okay. It, it's not just an exponential um, increase in terms of the amount of choices or the amount of decisions that you can make with a chessboard. It's, it's astronomical. In fact, mathematicians have, have hypothesized and said there are more board combinations in the game of chess than there are visible atoms in the night sky, in the galaxy. That's, that seems like a dramatization um, or slight exaggeration, at least. I, not, I can understand that to a point, but that seems like a, it that, seems crazy. a lot. Yeah. It seems crazy. But chess has that many types of board combinations. So you can't, you can't make this decision tree that says, if player does this, then we do this. Right. If the player then does this move, then we do that. There are too many. There are an infinite number of decision trees and decision branches, but yet people play chess mm -hmm. <laughs> very successfully, <laughs> right? People play chess every day um, and they can play chess in, you know, in a few minutes to a couple of hours, right? They can play multiple games very, very quickly because they can't rely on these crazy decision trees. Now, there are a lot of people in business who do want to create these crazy business, these, these trees, as you mentioned. Right. Um, but the game of chess is a perfect example where you, you, can't, you can't do that. So what do you do? If you read more, if you read about things like chess, or if you read about things like business strategy, or just even reading things like philosophy, my message is, or at least my belief is, it's a way that you might read something and it might challenge an assumption that you already have. It might challenge a bias, a personal bias. And we tend to lead based on our own morals and values and principles and all of that kind of stuff. So if, you're, if you have a value, if there's something that you value and you're and that value is based off of an assumption. Well, what if your assumption is wrong? You're probably, not only are you applying that value in your own personal life and how you live day to day, but you're probably also taking that to the office and you're applying that same value to the way you treat other people and the way you might be leading your business. Well, if that, if that assumption, if that, if that value is built on assumptions that are incorrect, you, you, you could be you could become better than if you were, you could become better if you recognize that and allowed your biases and assumptions to change and therefore reflect in your values more appropriately and, and consequently have a different result in the way you treat people. Okay. Now I can understand where, where you're, where you're going and where you're coming from in your argument. Um, however, so I want to counter with another thought. So, cause we talked a little bit, um, about the introvert extrovert. And I think we, mm -hmm. we have a good representation here amongst us this evening. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, yes, we do now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that earlier as a matter of fact. Oh yeah. So, you know, I'm, I am not an avid reader and, and I'll admit when I do choose to read, um, for pleasure and not for a homework assignment, I will 
tend to pick up a book of fiction of some sort. And that's my choice because it is, it provides an escape for me that, that I enjoy. I mean, it was on a neutral playing field, much like video games. You know, I, I like games that are very immersive mm -hmm. that I can lose myself into the world and become there. So just like that with a, with a book, I, I enjoy that as well. I like reading a fictional story that I'm able to get lost in the world and associate with the character or whatever. However, I don't read regularly. I, I, I just, I don't, but I can appreciate what you're talking about, expanding your worldview, challenging your biases and looking at things. What I notice in me is I, what I like to do personally is go interact with other people that I don't normally interact with. Um, I go find somebody else to talk to and I, I, you've seen me do it. I will interact and have a long drawn out conversation with complete strangers because mm -hmm. that's who I am. But, um, I understand what you're saying about seeking out knowledge. However, I would challenge that that can be sought out in multiple different faculties for me. I might gain some of that same insight that you're referring to, <clears throat> excuse me, from interactions with a stranger or some, maybe someone who's not a stranger, but actually having a conversation and learning something about myself or them in the process where you are going to dive into a book and hide off by yourself. I, on the other hand, I'm going to go out and find someone else and have a conversation much like what you and I have on right here. So can <clears throat> similar knowledges, similar ideas, <clears throat> and similar challenges be offered by doing that versus reading? Thoughts? Um, yeah, <clears throat> I think they can. But I think, I think people need to, uh, need to approach it for what it is. So for example you mentioned how you enjoy reading um, and you predominantly read fiction. Sure. I don't think there's anything wrong with that mm -hmm. um, in, for a couple of reasons. So first of all, I, I equate things like reading fiction, watching a movie, you know, a fictional movie or playing a video game. I, I, I liken those things to be what I would refer to as play. Okay. Good. And play, I think, is very important for humans. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of benefits from it. We know, we know that play reduces stress. That's just a given. And if we also know that stress causes a lot of not only emotional problems, but it can cause physical problems, yeah. right? You can, have, you can develop heart disease and all kinds of you know, uh, other illnesses sure. from stress. Um, so if play reduces stress, then obviously play would be good for your, for your overall mental and physical health. Play also does things like it teaches cooperation, for example, which is great if you're a leader, right? right? Or even if you're not a leader, but if you're interacting with people in an organizational setting and you have to cooperate, well, then if you play more games, you, you would probably start to recognize, especially games that require cooperation, then you'll probably have a deeper appreciation for people who have to play a role in the game that you're playing, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. Um, 
But play does other things too. We know that play improves overall brain function. And in fact, there are, uh, there are scientists who are continue to study how um, play can stave off things like dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, there have been, I mean, I know uh, several studies have looked at play for cancer patients, you know, cancer patients who are, you know, they're, they're sick all the time, sick to their stomach. They can't eat anything um, where play, especially with video games, takes their mind away from it. And so uh, they stop focusing on their physical ailments because they get engrossed into the game, into the play itself. And time goes by and they haven't, they haven't thrown up because they haven't been thinking about the effects that their body is going through. So there are a lot of benefits from play. And so I would equate things like reading fiction, watching, you know, fantasy movies, et cetera. I'd equate that part of play. Now you talked about going out and having a conversation with another person. Sure. I think that's a great thing to do. However, if I pick up a book on philosophy, I know exactly what I'm going to get from it. I don't sure. necessarily know if I'm going to have a quality conversation with somebody. It's not to say I'm not going to have a quality conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. I just don't necessarily know what I'm going to get from it. Mm -hmm. And the conversation that I get is only going to be as deep as that person can, can carry. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you go, you know, if you talk to a three-year-old, your conversation is probably not going to be very philosophical. <laughs> or it's going to at least be one-sided. Or it's at least going to be one-sided, <laughs> correct. But if, you're, if you read, a, you know, it, so I think there's a difference there in terms of if you pick up a book or watch a documentary or something along those lines, right? If you do something that leads to your personal growth and development, there's a better chance that you know what you're going to get from that text than sure. if you go out and talk to somebody. But to your point, yeah, I think you can, you can gain some of that same stuff by having a conversation or seeking other people. Well, and, and so you started this, this discussion out with the idea that, that reading makes, makes someone a better leader. And, and I can understand that in the premise that um, by reading, and especially when you're talking about nonfiction and reading, um, whether they're studies or um, you know, um, nonfiction text, or anything on a specific subject that you're going to expand your knowledge base. And so by reading, yes, are you going to expand your knowledge base? And then if you are actually speaking from a stronger base of knowledge, are you going to be better prepared or better able to lead and inspire other people? That's a fair argument to, to make. Although I know a lot of leaders who can inspire a team of people or a group of people that had absolutely no idea what the hell they were talking about, but it's simply about inspiring a group of people to go a unilateral direction. Now, if you are a natural leader in the sense of being able to, uh, you're charismatic, you're able to inspire other people to your cause, um, able to point them in that direction, you're able to unify people and you have a strong base of knowledge in the subject matter to which your movement is pertaining, that makes you an incredible, that you are set up for success in a leadership role. Now that I think is a very valuable distinction to make when we're talking about the two. Having a very strong knowledge base, there's a lot of people that know a, a lot about specific subjects that couldn't lead anybody out of a paper sack if they had the opportunity. And then you've got other people who are, 
they can inspire people to go out and do a whole bunch of stuff and they don't know what the hell they're talking about most of the time. So I think it's necessary to have elements of those to be an effectual leader. Is that fair? Um, to, a, to a certain degree. Okay. Um, so first of all, I get very nervous around charismatic leaders. I, I, <laughs> there are some charismatic leaders. There are some leaders who are charismatic that are very good. Um, there are a lot of leaders who are charismatic that are not very good. Right. Um, leadership, leadership is an emergent state. So in other words, it emerges out of who you are as an individual. If you are not growing and developing yourself to be better, then your leadership qualities are going to, they're going to plateau or you're, you're, sure. there's only so much that you're going to be able to do. Um, and, and there's only so much effectiveness that you're going to be able to produce out of yourself as a leader. The other, the other thing, which is, this is really where I, this is the, the real reason why I think people should be focused on constantly being better than themselves, which amounts to learning. Mm -hmm. If, if I'm, if as a leader, you say, I need to improve myself. One of the best ways to improve yourself is to learn because you've grown, you've gained new knowledge, right? You have effectively improved who you are. In order to learn, you need to rely on somebody else. Somebody else that has put together a podcast or written a book or put together a YouTube video or, you know, can teach you in a class or in a lesson, right? You, you have to rely on somebody who has put some scholarship of some type together that you're interested in. So as a leader, you're automatically by, by, as a leader who is a learning leader, you automatically are starting to put yourself in that, in that focus of maybe I'm not as good as I could be. But how do I get to become better? I need to rely on other people, which is exactly the kind of quality you want a leader to have. Now, the reason why we have to be very careful, because if, you, if you're working off of values and principles that are destructive, then yeah, you're a very charismatic leader and you're going to lead people right over the edge. Sure. You know, uh, Lenin and Stalin were extremely charismatic. Hitler, yes. extremely charismatic. Mao, extremely charismatic, mm -hmm. Right but they also murdered millions of people and led sure. people led their who they were leading over over proverbial cliffs but that's to, where i get very careful with charismatic leaders go ahead absolutely but to your to your point that you were making earlier i mm -hmm. think all of those very charismatic and very dangerous leaders were extremely learned individuals as well very yes, they were yes they were but they they also did not challenge their own belief systems they didn't challenge their own sure. biases and yep. read other things that forced them to challenge it. So they locked themselves in a bubble. They, they, were very, they were very educated, but they were educated only within a certain area and everything else they shunned. And, right. that's, and that's the trap that a lot of leaders get into. And that's a trap that we see, that's a trap that I see working with organizations often. We get in, I see often these you know, leaders will get into a trap and say, I'll ask, I'll ask a question. Hey, what does this mean? And it's amazing. You should tr try it at your company. And, and people will say, well, I don't know what that means. Especially with like acronyms. Mm -hmm. If there are crazy acronyms in your company, 
sometimes I'll ask, I'll say, what does that mean? And often they'll get, oh, you know, they might be able to answer two of the three letters. And they're like, I think the third, I'm like, you say this all the time. You don't even know what it means. Or I'll <laughs> ask people, I'm like, you know what? You, you get up and you, you hit the print button and you get up and you go to the printer all the time and you get the copy. Well, why do you do that? And almost nine times out of 10, people will say, well, I don't know. I was just, that's how I was trained. That's how I was taught. The problem is leaders do the exact same thing too. Leaders say, well, I, we, can't, we can't make the widget that way because we've always made it this way. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way we've always done it. Well, well, why? Because that was how it was best at that time. Right. Right. It may not be best now. Um, and, and leaders will often get into this place where they just, it's the way we've always done it. So we can't change it because if we try to change it, then everything's going to fall apart. Well, you don't know that. It could, yeah. Sure. But if you're not striving to become better and learning and judging, you know, and challenging your own biases and assumptions, you could be leading your people right over a cliff and you don't even know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm dealing with a situation like that, not entirely unlike this um, at work, you know, this idea that we've always had, this is the way we've always done this process mm -hmm. and it involves these many people. Well, what happens if we want to eliminate this one person? Can we still do this? Can we still get the end job done? Well, no, we can't do it that way. Why not? Well, this person did all these things. Well, yeah, but what if we divvy up these five different aspects of their job <laughs> to these other four people? We have it all covered. Why can't we do that? No, we can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because we've never done it that way. Well, let's try it. No, it's doomed for failure. Well, and unfortunately, what happens is, especially when you have leaders in positions where they have to oversee processes like that because they refuse to believe it can be done any different than the way they've done it for the last, you know, we'll just say even five years, then they will make sure and ensure to point out every potential possibility for failure and kill the idea before it ever gets off the ground. And that's where I see a lot of leaders get stuck in, um, or people at least in leadership roles, get stuck in that idea and will actually kill innovation before ever even attempted, let alone tried. I see that a lot. I see that a lot um, where organizations are afraid to try anything new. Um, and again, that goes back to valuing learning. So in order to learn, you have to fail. You have to experiment. Experimentation implies a lot of failure. Okay. Um, we would not have landed men on the moon had we not tried and tried and experimented and blew up a ton of rockets and engines and all kinds of stuff. If we you know, if NASA hadn't failed as miserably as they did for a good five or six years, we never would have landed anybody on the moon. There's a, there's a, a story that I talk about in my trainings, you know, during, during the space race, during the 1960s, at the beginning of the space race, NASA, NASA's engineers, right, they were, rocket ships were blowing up. And they started to, because, you know, there was, a, there was talk of a lot of how expensive these, these engines were. And there was a feeling like they were wasting money. And of course, there was congressional oversight over NASA. And it was, was Congress going to keep the money flowing or not? And so that, that, those discussions around dollars 
really started to affect the engineers where they were becoming very, very gun shy because they were feeling bad when a rocket blew up. And what started happening was their level of innovation started to plateau and then eventually started to decline. And some of the managers at NASA recognized that. And they recognized that when a rocket would blow up, you know, this is just in testing, when an engine would fail or a rocket would blow up, the engineers would get really quiet and they would get very despondent about what had happened and almost, you know, melancholy and sad. And some of these, some of the managers said, you know what, we have to turn this around because if we don't, we're not gonna go anywhere. So what they started to do is they were, they, every time there was a failure, they got the engineers to applaud and to cheer. Huh. Okay. And, and what that taught, what that told the engineers was it's okay to fail. Yeah. What did you go back, get all the data, study it, figure out what happened and how do we get better? How do we improve? Yep. And because they just started doing that, they didn't, they, they could have done NASA, man, NASA managers could have done a lot. They could have, mandated that everybody just be innovative. It wouldn't have worked. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. They could have written, you know, they could have written policies and procedures and, you know, office memos and all that. And none of it would have worked. The one thing that did work was getting people to cheer when there was a failure. And, and what happened was very, very quickly, the engineer, the mindset within the engineers began to change. Yep. And they were taking risks because they, they didn't want to take risks anymore because taking risks led to these explosions. And so they, they start, but by cheering, they started to take risks with their designs. If they didn't take risks, they, we never would have gotten to the moon. We never would have won that space race. Mm -hmm. um, and we never would have innovated, but to do that, you have to fail a lot. And well, as a and learner, as somebody who values learning, you also recognize that you're going to fail a lot. And so if I value learning in my people, then I value them experimenting and being innovative. Go ahead. Well, and success teaches us really as, as a species teaches us very, very little. It does. Success yeah. does yeah. not teach us much. Um, and you know, if you say, well, okay, you did it, you, you, you made it, you, whatever you built something and you got it done or you finished the race. If you ask them why, how did that work? How did your device work? How did your race work? How did that happen? Most of, I don't know. Everything just seemed to work because they, unless you've experienced failure in every other aspect where you can actually start eliminating all of the outliers to where you finally have the perfect recipe. I mean, that's how those scientific and I'm, NASA is a, a phenomenal example. I mean, if you think about the sheer feat of what that is, um, yeah. Without all of those failures to start eliminating po problems, potential problems, other outlying, it's, it, none of those things would have been possible. And most likely, if we'd have succeeded very early and then done it again, we wouldn't have been able to because we wouldn't have been able to isolate why didn't it work the next time. We did it the same way. Well, we wouldn't have known where those things, I mean, unfortunately, the, um, the Challenger explosion comes to mind. You know, that was a failure of a very, very small part, you know, the O-rings on the, the, the fuel pods that because it was out actually froze and then cracked, um, a tragedy. I mean, absolute horrible event, which unfortunately, or fortunately taught us loads 
And we haven't had a, a similar tragedy like that ever again since. But I mean, you think about all the things that you failed at in life and what you've learned from those failures. Um, how many successes have you had in life that you actually learned something from that didn't have multiple failures along the way? Um, I mean, you, we talk about your collegiate experience, Dr. Ramirez, <laughs> very, very much. But I mean, how many times have you gotten a, a crappy grade on a paper or you, you yeah, forgot yeah. about a homework assignment and you were up? you know, all night, all morning long, never went to sleep because you had to get it done. I mean, that's a failure that you had to overcome. And what you learn from those things, actually, like what'd your mom say? Builds character, you Builds know, character. It's, yeah. that's, we learn so much from failure and our society as a whole overwhelmingly doesn't just shy away from that. I mean, literally shuns fail failure and runs away from it at every opportunity without ever giving us the opportunity to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, when we started this all, this whole thing off, I was just thinking about the reading aspect. Um, and I still think reading, I, I still think if, if you, if you read a lot, you're in a better position. Mm -hmm. um, but I think really where it truly boils down to is learning um, and, and, and challenging your assumptions and, and, you know, sometimes when we challenge our assumptions, we also strengthen them mm -hmm. in the process. Because if, if we, if we are accepting uh, divergent thought and to see what it looks like, then, then yeah, we're, we're open to something, right? We're, we're at least making ourselves open to it in the process. We may actually realize no, what I, what I believe in or what I'm, what I'm thinking about is stronger because I've already, you know, if you really know something really, really well, and, and you've, and you've hammered on it from all sides, from all these different angles, right. Then, then it stands the test of time. If, if, but you can only do that if you allow other ideas, other thoughts to, to beat on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and we don't, we tend to not do that especially in our politics, right? We, 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 we get into these ideologies and we don't want to, we don't, we have to kick everything else out that is not like us. And we don't want that to, to infest us. Right. Um, and so we have to, we have to get rid of it and we have to shun it and we have to silence it, silence those voices because I don't want them changing my, I don't want them to say something that I might actually agree with. Right. So it's better if they just, if I shut them up, so they don't, I don't, they don't have the opportunity to change my mind. That's a very dangerous place to be in. Sure. Well, and you know, the, there's a very interesting idea, I think, and, and we're pulling in aspects of it, but you touched on it when you talk about leaders learning. And, and I think that is key. Now, something else you brought up, because I, I put myself in a position, let's pretend I'm the, the director of a, a building, the, the, the CEO of a company. Um, if I'm in that sent what I, I i like to consider that a center role not a top down but a center role i think the strongest person in that role is able to harness all of those aspects of other people you know we talked about um uh liberal conservative and the idea of um openness and conscientiousness right yeah yeah you talked about that and yeah. we made a correlation even at the time that really good businesses and really good companies need those people who are very open. Those are your innovators, your inventors, the forward thinkers. 
And they need those conscientious individuals who are doing your books. Those are your accountants, your accounts payable, accounts receivable. You know, we need all of those. And I think at the center of that should be that leader who's open, who's yet grounded, who's looking at learning and furthering their business and holding true to the values that are already there. It's a very, I guess, kind of Zen place to be able to have one hand on that innovative idea and one hand on the conscientious structure and push everything forward from that sense. But, but you know, another thing, and I agree with that, I, but, another th the, but another thing that I want to add to that is um, leaders need to understand, need, need to understand how to change their styles based on what it is that they're trying to accomplish. So oh, yeah. and there, are, there are really essentially only two things that a company strives to do with, their, with the knowledge that they have inside their organization. On one hand, it's to exploit that knowledge. Um, that's making the widget. That's making the recipe over and sure. over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. You've developed a recipe for a really awesome uh, cake. And now you just have to exploit that knowledge and just produce as many cakes as you can, maintaining a certain level of quality that people have come to expect. Mm -hmm. So that's called exploitation of knowledge. The other side is you have to do, you have to explore for new knowledge. Mm -hmm. So what about, what if everybody says, Hey, this cake is really good, but you know, I'm really interested in an ice cream cake. Would you sell those? If enough people ask for an ice cream cake, guess what? You should probably, maybe you should think about making an ice cream cake. Sure. Um, because if there's, if there's more money to be made, well, then why not? Why wouldn't you? Right. And expand your business and, and things of that nature. And especially if everybody says, or if everybody says, you know what, your cake is really good, but they have more cakes over there. So I'm going to start shopping over there because they also sell basically this exact same cake, mm -hmm. but I'm going to go over there instead. But you have to figure out what the next cake that you're going to make is going to be. Mm -hmm. So there's only two things. So you either have to explore for new knowledge. And then once you find that knowledge, then you have to exploit it. Those are the two things that every company does, right? You cannot lead the people in those two different avenues the same way. No, absolutely you, you not. Can't, you can't do that. But most no, leaders no, no. think that you can, which is why um, most leaders, when, when you get into this thing called, called exploration, they just say, well, you have to come up with the new recipe by this date. See, and I, and that happens, I don't know. That's and, very and frequent. Maybe it's hard for me to really believe that um, because I, I guess, and maybe that's, I'm more of the, I guess you would call it social leader if there is such a thing. Um, maybe that's the salesperson in me talking, the char charismatic guy that I am. I cannot interact or, or converse with two people the exact same way. It, it, it doesn't work. Um, you have to be able to meet whoever you're interfacing with on a level of where they are and then grow from that base. And I, as a leader, I think, I, I guess as a leader, I, I like to think that that's something that most leaders inherently have. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't deal I with don't. enough people like that. But um, no, it's, you, you've got to, for your innovators and the people who are inventing and come up, you've got to be exciting and a little um, risk-taking and a little open and maybe even a little crazy. Crazy can be good if you bottle it up appropriately. Um, and then for your others, it's, I, I guess... I don't, I don't understand how that's even a problem. Well, most companies, what they do is they, they run projects. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of organizations run different types of projects, whether the project is building a house, okay, or the project is coming up with a new creative solution for our online application that we're going to have on our mobile phone, right? If, and since you're running a project, there's always dollars attached to a project because the accountants need to know how much money to budget. So whenever you're running a project, whether it's build a new house or develop something brand new, there's money attached to it. Um, and so leaders are get very focused on the dollars. Are we spending the money in the appropriate way? The problem is if I'm exploring for new knowledge by design, you, we are either, we're going to fail a lot. Yeah. We might come up with different ideas that are not going to be good at all. In other words, we're going to burn through a lot of money. We're going to spend a lot of money and we're not going to see that much out of it during the exploration. Well, and most companies, they're, they're R&D departments, if you will. They're, right. they're money losers. They, 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 but of course that's, they are. that's by design. Are. That's what it's about. Research it's, and development is, is just, right. it's a sinkhole. But occasionally you get a gem out of there that right. just skyrockets your company into a whole new level. See, everybody knows that. Everybody knows R&D is where a lot of experimentation happens and where we spend a lot of money. But at the end of the day, every manager will say, well, I need to know when we're going to be done with it. When is the new widget going to be produced? So <laughs> it's, it's literally everybody, they, they, people will talk out of both sides of their mouths. They'll say, right. yes, I know it takes a long time to do exploration. And I know it's all ambiguous. And I know there's a lot of failure that goes along there, but when are you going to have the next, the next, the next iPhone? Yeah. You know, when yeah. are we going to build the new iPhone killer? You know, it's like, you don't know that. Right. Well, <laughs> and and I, we I, know that intuitively. That's why I do what I do because I have to remind people, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the managers, the leaders will say, well, we have to control the budget. And so when are we going to, when are we going to meet the ROI for the project that we kicked off to explore our new product? Well, I don't know. What? Well, no, you don't. And not in an R and D right. sense, you never do have an ROI. What, what you have, the only time you get a real return on investment measurable is when you actually have the idea solidified and you go, this is legit. This is the one. Now you can actually start taking bits and pieces of that and figure out what the investment of that is going to cost to actually mass market, mass produce, go from there. But everything that came into play up to just the the idea creation (laughs) and a little bit of field testing, you cannot measure out what that investment has been. Right. And if, and if most leaders knew how to do that, then I would not have to go into and explain to them that you can't control a project based on exploration the same way you would control a project based on exploitation of knowledge. Right. And most, I'm telling you, most managers will say, well, when are we going to be done with our exploration phase? They want timelines. They want, and they well, will say, well, we need to have our, we need to be done with our exploration by this date so that we can begin producing it on this date. I, I would it turn doesn't work that and way. ask the same, I would ask that question in a different manner. Okay. Mm-hmm. How many widgets do you want to sell? And when are we going to stop selling them? 
once we create the widget in our exploit exploration phase, once we create it, how many of them are you wanting to sell? And when are you going to cease production? At what date? Right. They don't know. Uh, because be no, you wouldn't be able to answer that right. because I know the answer to that intuitively. Sure. You're going to sell as many of those as you possibly can for as long as you can until people go, I don't want that anymore. Right. And then you're going to clearance the rest of them out to, you know, some other country or whatever you need to do. You're going to sell as many of those and ride the gravy train for as long as you possibly can. But you also got to take into account in the meantime, while you're riding the gravy train of whatever, you know, I don't know, iPhone that you are on, you're also in exploration for the next iPhone, the I, the Apple watch, the Apple belt buckle, the Apple egg crate warmer, and the Apple, I don't know, skyrocket. I, it, you're, you're already doing all that other stuff while you're still selling the iPhone 12 or whatever we're on. Right, right. Well, and this is why I say that you have to be able to adjust your leadership style because in order to get people to be innovative, it you have to lead them in a completely different way than you would if, you ha- if you're leading people that are just building widgets. Because with the people that are building widgets, you need to set up how to make better decisions when things go wrong. You need to teach them how to make decisions. Like, well, if the machine, if this machine breaks, what do you do to fix it, right? Um, it, or if our supplier runs out of, of our materials, w- what happens? What do we do? Those are, those are decisions that come up all the time. And a good leader will teach their staff how to make the best decisions in those types of situations. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to put together a decision tree, right? but you have to teach them how to make decisions, not which decisions to make. You teach right. them how to make decisions. But on the other hand, if, if you have a team that, are, that is exploring and is trying to come up with a new product or service, you can't tell them, you can't teach them how to make decisions because we don't know what's going to be a good decision. Sure. Um, so the, the idea then is not to teach them how to make decisions per se, but really about pulling out the creativity that lies under the surface. And the best way to do that is just simply be a leader who walks around and asks questions Mm -hmm. because it's through the talking, it's through the talking and answering of the questions that people are in essence thinking out loud. Mm -hmm. And often when they're thinking out loud and you're just, the leader is just challenging, just asking questions, not to judge them to see if they're spending money in the right way, but like they have a prototype. Okay. Well, how does it work? Tell me about it. What happens in this case? What happens in this case? What about this situation? What about that situation? And over the course of them talking, they might go, Oh, that's a, that's a fallacy. We need to go and research that. Or, Oh, I never thought of that. Maybe we need to look into how we integrate that idea into this thing completely different way of leading depending mm-hmm. on which branch of the of the organization sure. you're working in but most leaders don't know how to change that and a good oh. CEOs do good CEOs do but most most of like your middle managers they don't they don't know because they're trained one specific way and they think that way is the right way because that's how they were trained and so you'll get a widget making leader who now gets pro- a promotion and because not all organizations have R and D, right? Many organizations do exploration, but that's just called the project management area. Right. Right. (laughs) And so now you have the widget maker manager gets promoted and they get promoted into the explore for the new widget type of manager. And they think I'm just going to lead by, you know, controlling the budget and 
all this kind of stuff and they fail miserably or there's such a cancer in the organization that they pull that whole area down and it just bleeds money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I, I, again, for me, I, I love asking the questions of staff and coworkers and, and just that seems so natural to me that it's hard to believe that that's not commonplace. Obviously you're saying it is. And I believe you, you have way more experience than I do in that. Um, so it's, it's, I guess it's odd, but then again, like you said, 90% of what you do is all common sense. So (laughs) I guess maybe, maybe going, wow, this is a really cool widget. I would ask some things. Well, well, that's cool, but what else can it do? Yeah. Well, what do you mean? That's it. Well, no, you took a, you know, the, this phone and you put in a stylus. Yeah. All right. Well, what else can it do? Cause that's kind of lame. (laughs) <laughs> well that's cute well, i like it it's a nice stylus does it do anything else <laughs> you know this is that this is that same kind of issue where um you know when when and everybody's like this right you have a something that's in your life that's bugging you and you have to talk it through with with another person just to um may, maybe you know they come to you and say well i don't know what to do help me jason yeah help me what what should i do right and you just ask a bunch of questions and the person already knows inherently what they should do. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. The same thing in an organization, the organizations know what they should do. The leaders know what they should do. The teams even know what they should do. They just can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. Same way that same way that because they're, because these organizations and teams are made up of individuals, they act in very similar ways at as the individual does in their own personal lives. Like they sure. can't see the forest for the trees. Well, neither can the team either. So we've established two things, at least in our discussion right. tonight. One, yes, you are an organizational psychologist. Uh-huh. You're a therapist. And that's why you got so pissy when I was talking about therapy <laughs> being a racket. <laughs> so that's one, two, Good and effectual leaders, I think, need to be willing and open to expound their base of knowledge, however they seek to garner that or however they hone that. Um, being closed off or closed-minded, is, is it might get you through the short term with what you already have, but in the long term, um, you're closed off. It's, like, it's no different than a company refusing to innovate. As yeah. a leader, if you refuse to innovate, you somebody else's what'd you say gonna eat your lunch i believe you gonna said eat, yes they're gonna eat your lunch so <laughs> <clears throat> all right well good talk yeah good discussion that's uh that's good stuff so um next w- next week is not christmas so um next this uh this weekend, I'm saying this coming up weekend. So we got, uh, yeah, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to end up recording. I guess we'll figure all that out with our, with Christmas and everything like that. But, um, so we'll be back next. We'll, we'll have another episode next week in time for Christmas and same Mickey mouse channel. Yeah, exactly. Mickey mouse. So yeah, well, in the meantime, you can find all of our stuff out at fusionunderground.net. Uh, we're on parlor now. Uh, still, uh, we're still sort of locked out on Twitter. I don't think we're ever getting that back. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. That's okay. Um, but we we're out there on, on parlor. 
We're also on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash AZ Fusion Underground. But you can find all of our, our YouTube channel. You can find all of our audio feeds and everything off of our main website. Why are you looking at me like that? Oh, sorry. With uh, YouTube's new found um, um, protocols for how they're looking at speech. As long as we don't mention the word election, I think we're okay. Oh, shoot. I just did it. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll right see. now, we'll see what happens with that as it goes yeah. on. If nothing else, the audio version will still be out there. There you go. In all of its glory. <laughs> so, we do have faces made for radio, so that might be yeah, safe. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. But you can find us on, what is it? Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, um, Apple Podcasts, a bunch of others. But yeah, if you go out to our website, fusionunderground.net, you'll be able to find it there. You can send us emails at contact at fusionunderground.net. That's contact at fusionunderground.net. Any uh, famous last words, parting thoughts, or anything like that? Nope, nothing famous. Okay, well. Good talk. Good times as always. Yeah, well, thanks for listening, everybody. For Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez, and you've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Have a good Peace. night. Peace word late.